Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways, episode 17. I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's podcast, like you all know, is sponsored by the Notecast app. Use the Notecast app to save snippets of podcasts as digital notes so you never forget all those thoughts, ideas, or aha moments that come to you in a moment like this, listening to a podcast. You can find Notecast in the Apple Store or Google Play. And if you enjoy this conversation with me and my guests, please explore about me and how I serve others at courtwhitman.com. For all our new listeners out there, High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview, and then it's shared with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the past that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it's inspiring. During each episode of High Performance Pathways, it's my intent to do five things for you, the listener. Number one, connect. Connect you to someone else to build relationships. Number two, question to understand. Number three, share to raise perspective. Number four, teach to increase confidence, and number five, inspire. Inspire to trigger your growth as a listener. And one additional note that I got to cover, hey, this is coming at you raw. No post-edit work. We record live and deliver it to you exactly as it was recorded. Super excited about my guest today, a close friend, a colleague I've worked with, a guy that's inspired me in my work. Uh, His name's Tyler Baker, TB as his friends affectionately call him. A little bit about Tyler. Tyler was a member of the Liberty men's basketball team from 2005 to 2010, so played college basketball at a high level. He also received his MBA from Liberty in 2012, and then Tyler began his career in enterprise software with stints at Hewlett Packard and Tableau. In 2013, he co-founded Team Synced a technology platform helping college athletic teams with operations. TeamSync was acquired by TeamWorks in 2016, and that's when me and Tyler met. I was at TeamWorks, and then based upon that that merger, uh, Tyler came over and worked and served for a while as uh, TeamWorks began to integrate TeamSync into their way of doing things. Uh, But Tyler didn't stop there. So after TeamSync, he co-founded PSS a scouting logistics app for major league baseball clubs. Tyler's prior experiences as a college athlete and as a founder of multiple successful software companies has led to what he's currently working on, and he works on a bunch of stuff, but his current venture is called Parallel, and it's a platform that helps athletic departments build an engaged alumni base to create career pathways for athletes. And certainly we'll get into a little bit more about Parallel and Tyler's vision and how he's serving others once we open this podcast up. So Tyler, man, appreciate your time, brother. It's wonderful to connect with you on a conversation like this. And and really thanks for being here with us to share your perspectives on high performance. Yeah, you bet, Court. I appreciate you having me on and excited to, uh, to talk today. Yeah, man. 
Um, you know, you know where my heart is, is in a couple places and we've talked a lot, but one of the things that is so impactful and has been in my life for such a long time is just sport, right? I'm talking rec sport. I'm talking high school sport. I'm talking about heck playing ball right now in our thirties and forties. And so I want to begin with a conversation about just college basketball, specifically for you there at Liberty. Um, would you share, man, with us, you know, why'd you decide to play and really study there at Liberty. And let me say before you answer, you know, just last weekend, I was driving through the Shenandoah Valley. I was going to VMI. Uh, I'm going to spend some time there with the, the Leadership and Ethics Center that they just built, which is phenomenal. Um, and I went by way of Lynchburg. I had never driven, driven, great word, Court. I've never, never made the time to drive through Liberty. It's beautiful, man. Um, so there you go. Here we, yeah. now we are today talking about it. So how about you, man? You know, why'd you decide to play there and study? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, at the time, I think, uh, you know, you go in your, you have, like, I wasn't a highly, highly recruited D1 college basketball player. I was probably like, you know, low mid-major, low major type of recruit. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, got, in, got, did like a, some official visits to UTEP, um, Texas A&M, and then I went out to Liberty and, you know, it was really the people. I just kind of, um, I think you get a sense of, uh, you're picking up a lot of information when you're on those visits. And um, there wasn't really a scientific process as to which one to choose. I kind of just was thinking more about like, what was my experience going to be like when I go to college? Um, you know, facilities, and that sort of thing didn't play like a huge factor in my mind. It was more like, what's the day to day going to be? Who are the people I'm going to be around? what's my role in the team going to be? What's, what's the trajectory and Liberty just kind of edged out the other, the other options that I had. And I'd be remiss if, you know, the, the faith component of the school um, didn't play a factor. You know, I was looking, I grew up, grew up in a faith, faith-based kind of household. So at the time, especially, um, you know, that was really important to just my decision for making framework and it would be still to this day. Um, you know, Liberty's come a long way since I, even when I was there, you know, eight years ago or so, um, but it's just a wonderful school. It's a lot of wonderful people. Yeah, man. I hear you. Um, were you, are you from Virginia? Albuquerque, New Mexico, the 505. Are you kidding me? So you came all the way from New Mexico to Virginia for school. Yeah. I packed up my car. My mom was trying to drive packed up my car. You know, my parents gave me hotel money, but, um, I pocketed it, slept in my car for two nights on the way out there. And yeah, Ford Explorer cross country. <laughs> hey man, I, I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee and on my first assignment uh, in the army when I graduated from VMI, um, I drove 16 hours to San Antonio, Texas and uh, literally the Jeep blew up once we got there. Um, so I, I'm no stranger to a road trip. It just wasn't to college for me. It was just, uh, you know, wrapping up the one that I just finished on my first duty assignment. So that's crazy, man. I mean, uh, I'm surprised that uh, you traveled that far, but I guess sports sometimes will take us there. So let's, let's talk about, I guess, the basketball experience for a moment. Would you, would you mind sharing maybe a uh, top two, top one, shoot, we'll take three if you have them, but memories that you have from specifically just playing ball in college? Yeah. I mean, so one thing that's really just, I mean, it's just core to my athletic career is injury. And before I even stepped foot on campus that fall, I had torn a perineal tendon in my ankle. It's, it's like a very fundamental tendon that keeps your foot moving. So 
I didn't know it at the time. So I tried to go play on it and I couldn't. And then I eventually got surgery, sat out nine months. And that was my redshirt freshman year, um, stress fracture. And then eventually tore my ACL my senior year. So I kind of played every other year. So a big memory for me in, in college was, I mean, a lot of it was watching and rehabbing every other year. It seemed like that was the case. Um, so the best memories while I played, no, no doubt was my redshirt freshman year. Um, somehow, one of my friends like rallied together a bunch of the fans and like, so every game I was like this token player where, you know, I played like 20 minutes as a game as a freshman, but I would have like the Baker's dozen and it was like this corner of guys and they would like chant this cheer people made for me. And I'm kind of like a little embarrassed by it because obviously I'm not the best player on our team. Larry Blair was, but the fans would go so hard because they're like my friends, you know, and um, <laughs> That's so awesome. my name, you know, and I'm like, kind of feeling like my teammates are like dude why are they cheering for you know but it was um I think that was cool just having support playing 20 minutes a game as a freshman and just um you know feeling like a college basketball player because when you're not playing and you're injured and you're rehabbing anyone who's done that kind of knows you're just um it's a different experience and so that was one of the better memories um and um you know, there's all kinds of um, some of the things I treasure in hindsight, probably not one of my favorite memories at the time is just Coach McKay one year had us like he called everybody at like 1230 a.m. We all had to show up at the Vines at 1 a.m. And we had to run sprints because I don't know, it was like some alcohol in like one of the guy's fridges or something got found or I forget what happened. But um, so we were like all running sprints except the three guys that got in trouble. It was like I think it was Seth, Johnny Stephine and like one other guy they had to sit at half court and eat chocolate donuts and milk. And the rest of us ran sprints for an hour. And, uh, that was kind of funny. Those, those are the moments you kind of look back on and they just stick out for whatever reason. Absolutely, man. Um, sounds like those are the times that, uh, you know, for whatever reason it felt maybe uncomfortable or there was some joy, there was some excitement and certainly just some slogging, uh, moving through injury. Um, when I think back about, playing football I mean certainly the training room was a brand new experience for me I mean coming from rural North Carolina kids playing both ways and I wasn't recruited at all to play ball I was a walk-on it was so incredible the kind of support that you find there but that's one thing that I think everyone that plays you know college sport is just injuries are part of the process I remember turning my ankle in preseason uh, actually it was spring ball I think my junior year and good gracious man it feels like you can never get through an injury especially to your feet so appreciate you sharing some of that stuff with us man um interesting and kind of how those things kind of develop for you um while you're playing ball um anything else beyond basketball and really that student athlete experience that was uh memorable for you there at liberty or stuck out in your mind so i mean just to kind of analyze that question like at the time um, things that stuck out to me, like at the time or like in hindsight, thinking about it. Yeah, I think, I think probably more about hindsight because I don't know that even as I reflect on my own life, you know, something like, let's say for example, when I was eight years old and I was, I was so sick that I was hospitalized for 46 days and my body was paralyzed, right? Cause I had an infection in my brain that was killing me. You know, I don't remember that. I don't remember any of that except maybe for jumping around in what I thought was a pool full of like 
you know, used cushions because mm -hmm. it was me and all the kids that were suffering from leukemia on the ward that they were like, Hey, you know, let's try to make this place fun for them because they're in the hospital forever, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but, but there's nothing I think, I think, well, I remember this from that moment, but, but now, you know, that I'm older, I'm wondering is that, you know, since I made it through that process and I recovered and I survived, right? Two things I always think about is what's God's plan for me, right? Cause I could have died. And the second thing is, was that kind of the birthplace for grit in my life and perseverance? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I think it's more of in the question, man, like when you think about that student athlete experience, specifically at Liberty, um, you know, looking back on it now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what would you think was special about that? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, I got you. I got where, you. Where were that moves for you? Yeah, I think I was just trying to determine, like, what did I appreciate at the time versus what do I appreciate now about that experience? And if, if we're, we're talking about now, I mean, the things that I really appreciate the most, kind of 10 years removed from college, 10 years into working, 10 years into life past college, um, Aaron Schreiner sticks out to me. He's our trainer. And Aaron is the type of person that, you know, trainers don't get a lot of clout. If you're a college basketball player, you're not at least we, I, we, our team wasn't giving your trainer tons of respect, you know, and all the little gestures you can just in terms of, you just look at him as someone to help you tape my ankles, help me get in the cold tub, help me. But Aaron Schreiner just serves people with the utmost care and professionalism and passion while keeping his personality as he does it. And mm -hmm. doing that day in and day out. I mean, obviously I spent a lot of time with him, but I watched him do this for lots of guys, Jeremy Anderson. I mean, everyone, that came through that place and uh, just day in and day out. He's the first one there. He's the last one to leave. And, you know, you come to respect the, those sorts of attributes um, in people way more than performance because we all have different levels of potential and different avenues. But some of those skills Aaron really just showed during that time stuck with me quite a bit throughout my career. And um, so, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate Aaron Schreiner. In terms of liberty and playing experience, um, there's a lot of things I probably could talk about. Um, but liberty wasn't the place when I showed up in 2005 that I thought I was signing for. Like, I thought I was going to a Christian school, thought I was going to have like this, you know, I had my idea of what it would be like. But I mean, in all reality, you spend like a couple days on campus, like you don't really know what it's going to mm -hmm. be like. So I show up, there's a bunch of JUCO transfers that came into liberty, guys are bringing guns to pick up. Like it wasn't a mm. Christian basketball or whatever, like you think you, it was happening in my mind. And I come to love my teammates and, you know, coaching, we had, I had played for three different head coaches throughout Liberty. So kind of had a new team every other year. And um, it, it's not one of the darling college basketball stories. Um, I think the furthest we ever got in a season was the semifinals of our conference championship. So, um, but, and so th that's kind of the quick synopsis of, like, I still really enjoyed it. I'm thankful, like, I, I got to finish. I'm thankful I was on the team. I love my teammates. Um, keep in touch with many of them to this day. But in hindsight, what I appreciate, the example Aaron set, what I appreciate about college sports in general is just the delayed gratification that you have to keep putting forth day in and day out. And you just build resilience. And you build perseverance. You build work ethic. And once you learn how to unleash those in any new avenue post-college, you can make progress really quick and be successful. So, Absolutely, man. 
appreciate you sharing that reflection for sure, man. And, and I think it's interesting, it's like for anyone listening that, you know, coming from a guy that lived it for five years, you know, had a redshirt year that I think what you're telling me was kind of, you know, injury based, you know, you still got to still got to stay on the grind. Right. And that's what a lot of it sometimes is. I mean, heck, I, I know that really well. I mean, playing at BMI, it was a losing season, a losing program, you know, really every year that I was there. But you don't quit on that just because you're not having success. Right. Because you're kind of in it one for the for the, the guys you're playing with. And it just some, I think some cases, a lot of athletes just I'm not sure they even have quit in them. At least that's my experience. And I think those are gifts that I've certainly taken with me as I move forward in life. So. I think you've you've shared a couple things here that without even asking uh, about your experience, um, you know, almost like, you know, you talk about resilience a bit and it's almost like advice. Like these are kind of the things you got to do if you're going to play. But I'm just curious, Tyler, could you share anything with with maybe a younger audience, uh, you know, a basketball player in high school, maybe that junior college kid mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that wants to play, mm-hmm. you know, in college, uh, anything you could share with them? to help them uh, as they continue to chase a dream? Yeah, I think dreams are powerful and I think you need dreams. And I think what dreams to me represent, because like a lot of these words have different definitions for people in their mind, but we all have a certain amount of potential and you want to optimize it. And that's just like one of the beautiful things about the, the human experience is you have potential in you and you can go realize it in the world. And you know, what, if, if your dream is to like optimize your potential playing a sport like basketball, then the first thing everyone says is like, well, you got to go get to work and copy what the best basketball players do, figure out what position you're going to be like, you just get to work on that track. But I am a firm believer in counting the cost as to whatever you have to balance counting the cost with your dreams. So, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to tell you just pursue your dreams at all, at all costs. I'm the guy that's going to, cause I don't believe in that. I don't think you should have a dream and you should just put tunnel vision on and go after it because that dream that you have is a belief. You think playing college basketball, you think playing in the NBA is going to make you happy or it's going to be good and you have this belief. So then you go pursue it. So I don't think you should just have a belief say, okay, I believe it, period. And then put your blinders on and then don't stop going after it until you get it. Some people may tell you that. What I think is every day, every moment, you, you kind of have to, you're constantly reevaluating your beliefs. You're constantly reevaluating your track and you're making like the best decisions that you can throughout the process. So if you want to play college basketball, you want to play in the NBA. Okay, start down that track, but just be conscious of your potential. Are you tracking against your goal? What do other experts say? Um, are you, you know, are you doing everything you can to pursue it, but you kind of have to hold these dreams with, with kind of like open palms and be realistic as to what, what your stretch goal is, I guess. I don't know how clear I'm being with this. It's just, um, if you want to play in college basketball, you want to play NBA, that's great. Go after it super hard, but just be conscious of how, how much you're tracking against that goal because you can waste a lot of time holding beliefs that um, you know, the probability for success is just like extremely low or impossible. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hear what you're saying, man. It's, it's loud and clear. And to be honest, it's something that I need to hear more often of because um, I'm, I'm typically a guy that's really hopeful. And I'm typically the guy that's been saying, yeah, man, if that's what you want, go after it. But I've learned in my own life that it's to the neglect in some cases of, of objective thinking, right? And so that's the word that's resonating with me in this moment is, yeah, yeah have the dream, man, because dreams inspire, right? Mm-hmm. And go after that dream and work really hard in the pursuit of it. But have someone there that's kind of helping you stay grounded or objective as you assess that as being a reality. Because, you know, to, to kind of your point here, you talked about, you know, injury coming to you. If I talk to 10 people, I'm talking to eight of them that their career ended prematurely, really in, without them even deciding and it just, because of injury. So then what's next? And so I think you're also encouraging someone to maybe have other options, right? And people say things like, don't put all your eggs in one basket for a reason because it's really hurt people in life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great, man, uh, to share out for folks and and that are listening, you know, that are chasing a dream. And it might be basketball in college or might be something else. I think it still applies. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I'll probably have a little... (laughs) When When you asked me to speak to like a high school or JUCO player who... Well, you know, a younger athlete that really wants to play college basketball and they're, they're set on it. Like my advice is then like, get to work. You know, that's really all you can tell someone. It's like, what do you, what can you do to improve your odds of achieving your goal? If that's your goal, well, really get to work. So we can talk about what get to work means in lots of different categories, dieting, you know, stability, mobility, conditioning, skill development, all the common things to go achieve your goal. That's the best advice I have. But my advice for them as people is just be conscious of why you want to play college basketball in the NBA and be conscious of what coaches and friends and leaders go seek advice, go seek mentorship to understand like where you stack and just be conscious of how you're tracking against the probability you'll achieve your goal. Because fundamentally the opportunity cost of putting blinders on and just going after something without that consciousness of how you're tracking is pretty expensive and you can spend a lot of time, you know, chasing an athletic dream or a career dream. And that opportunity cost can be quite expensive. Um, and you can avoid, I think you can, you can, you can just make so many better decisions with the time you have, the more, um, the, be- the better perspective you have as to how you're tracking against the goals that you set. And even underpinning that, Absolutely. The beliefs you have, you know, to set those goals in the first place. So it's hard, you know, it's hard for me to this day, but that's the advice I give myself. That's what I'd give to, you know, younger athletes. Appreciate it, man. I think it's helpful. Um, let, t- let's go back for a second to, to New Mexico, which I'm, I'm just learning here today in this conversation. I've known you a couple of years, man. No idea that's where you're from. Um, mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess I've not asked the right questions <laughs> throughout our relationship. Um, but I mean, and just sport in general, right? Because as I, as I look back on your life, I think, I mean, heck man, I came to visit you in Charlotte and and we spent some time together. And before we spent the time together, we met at a local Y and -hmm. we had a workout, right? Mm -hmm. Before we even started to kind of talk, you know, about what we had planned for that day. But, you know, and, and, and really in the software that you're building, it's always served the athlete or the athletic department, or I just mm-hmm. call it the athletic enterprise in, mm-hmm. in college or even now in pro. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, 
I don't know. I've never even asked you this, but my guess is that sport is just incredibly powerful in your life. You know, so that's my assumption. So my question in that is, why? Right? Why for you has sport been so influential? Um, you know, is it family? Is it mm. how did it start for you, man? And yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think uh, I don't have an amazing answer for why it's so important to me. Like sports in general, it's other than at a young age, I was good at sports. And because I was good at sports, I think opportunities opened up for me, opportunities to travel, opportunities to play on certain teams, you know, opportunities, even socially within the school, uh, self-confidence develops, you know, sports, sports do a lot for you, especially at a young age. I think they, they teach you so much about life. They, they open up opportunities for you, especially if you excel, um, excel, which is kind of part for the course of anything you do. If you're good at it, opportunities open up. So, um, so yeah, that led to college. And then obviously injuries kind of shut that down. But because I spent so much time in, in college athletics and I have such an appreciation for, you know, the space and what it can do for people, um, mixed with like kind of an entrepreneurial bone, I think I just, when you, when you switch that into today and the companies that I've been a part of and the problems that we're solving, generally in life, you just you solve problems that you're, you're exposed to. So I think like the software companies and, and the outcomes they're trying to see happen in the world are just really just a manifestation of problems I've been exposed to. You know, had I grown up and mm. my dad was an actuary at a bank and I might be in FinTech right now just because that's what I'd be exposed to. So, um, you know, in life, a lot of times you want, like I've had, I've had moments where I just want to get out of athletics. Really? I just, I just want out. Yeah, actually. Like I want out because I'm too curious about the rest of the world or I don't want my identity to just be like a former athlete or he's in sports. Like that's, there's, there's ideas and things you go through where I think you just want change and you want out and you want to go do different things. But, um, I, so for me, I can't, I won't, I won't give advice to others, but for me, the thing I'm learning is, if you can be useful to others, that brings my, me personally a lot more satisfaction and joy and just motivation, like gets me going. And so if I could be useful to people, then let's do that. Like, let's, let's, let's try and like serve other people. Let's try to make a business out of it. Let's try to, you know, cause I think that gives me a lot more fulfillment. And so, yeah, I'm just being useful to people in a space I'm familiar with is how I am where I am today, as opposed mm. to trying to go, you know, change who I am. Like you just, there's so much about yourself and your past you can change, but there's a lot you just work with. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that for sure, man. I mean, in the work that I do, I'm, I'm certainly a strengths-based coach and a lot of that comes from, Hey man, do you have an awareness of what you're just really good at? And I think what you're telling me is that, you know, you happen to be injected into sports at some point and you happen to be really good at basketball. So you kept doing it. And then now where you are is, um, you know, as I understand it with, with, with the different companies that you've founded and worked in, they're all serving sport because there's a comfort there. You know, you know what it's like to be an athlete, you know, what it's like to be on a team um, in these spaces. And you feel like it's a problem you can solve because there's a bunch of them that, that, uh, that show up there. So let's talk more about that, man, specifically. And, and really this, 
this venture that you're doing to build, you know, I think one day you told me, I just like building beautiful software. I don't know. I just remember the word beautiful as part of how you described it. And it really stuck with me. Um, but you said, Hey man, I just like building beautiful software um, for sport. And so how do you go from, from sport to software, man? Cause like for me, super foreign, right? Like I'm a user of software, but I mean, so intimidating and, and so foreign to me. Um, so what inspired you, man, to really step into software? So the, I'll be honest, the first thing after college, so a lot of what I just shared in the previous segment was my perspective today, but it wasn't like my perspective was that immediately after college. Immediately after college, I had become, I was, a, I was the best, one of the best basketball players in my state. And I had a certain type of lifestyle in high school where your identity is built around largely how other people treat you, what you believe about yourself and the value you place on that self. You go into college, it's just like you level up. So still it's like new game, like new environment. You have to level up. It's a little more competitive, but it's kind of the same thing like school, basketball performance. But my college career, a lot of injuries hampered performance and had I even even been healthy, I probably still would have been in a similar position after college, which is it's over now. You have a business degree. I, I, I actually was working on my MBA because I had that extra year, but I have like this general business education and there's this wide world in front of me and I'm not going to be a professional athlete. So what's next? And I thought, how do I keep this thing going? Like, how do I keep feeling elite, feeling important, feeling valued? Well, I got to make money. Well, that's a new game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think <laughs> at the time, like I did what I like, you know, this is, this is not to point the finger at Liberty. Um, although I'm happy to do that. I just don't feel that in my heart. I didn't, I didn't really seek out career services opportunities. I didn't really seek out guidance for, from a career perspective. I, until it was until after school. So after school, I'm like, you know, Jeff Barber, the AD at the time, like set me up with all these lunch meetings that I didn't deserve. I just like went to his office. Thankfully, Jeff, I mean, he's the AD at Charles, uh, Charleston Southern now, but he was like so kind to introduce me to like all these guys in Lynchburg, Virginia to have lunch because I'm like, Hey, I'm trying to get into something. Like, what can I do? And all those meetings were great, but they just turned into like book recommendations, not really job opportunities. So I get on Google, Google search, like financial services, Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm thinking like, Hey, if you can do something in financial services, maybe you can make money that leads to an internship. And so starts this journey to trying to make money, trying to get a job, trying to make money, trying to grow in career, trying to grow in this new game. And in hindsight, I know it was driving me largely other than the need to survive, you know, but as you work up Maslow's hierarchy, it's like you're working towards like more fulfillment oriented things. And mine was like, I just want to get that feeling back. That feeling like when people look at you, you feel elite, you feel special, you feel cut above. You're an athlete, you know, performance gives you that sort of thing. Cause society oftentimes just circles, you know, it, it, it credits performance. So I was willing to work for it too. I know how to work for it. I mean, goodness gracious, I had three season ending injuries in college. You know, I stuck it out. I understand resilience. I understand hard work. I understand waking up early. I understand process. So I was going to go take that to whatever industry would let me in. And I did, I did well in financial services. I transitioned to enterprise software, did well there. And then eventually I figured out how things work a little bit and figured out you can make more money if you start your own company. And that's why I started TeamSync. And 
this is when I started to realize, you know, after the acquisition of Team Synced, and then like we were building another app for Major League Baseball, that okay, once like the money thing was kind of checked, and I didn't make a ton of money, but enough to like eat Chick Fil A whenever I want. Well, now I'm like, <laughs> you know, now I'm thinking like, okay, what do I want to do? Like this, you know, fulfillment. You start so now you have this other problem, and that's probably in the last two years. That's what's led to parallel. And that's kind of what's led to this just maturation process with Tyler Baker of like, you know, how do you, how do you start reorienting around your core beliefs? What are your core beliefs? And how do you start to live that out in a career if you're so lucky to do that? And, um, you know, that's kind of the emergence of parallel and what we're working on now. Wow, man, that's incredible. Um, I got like three or four questions I'd love to ask based upon that reflection. Um, and all the words that are all showing up, I'm just vomiting them all at one time. I want to explore a little bit about this core values. And I'm really curious, like, you know, when did that really begin to be a question you're asking yourself? And then how are you letting that lead you in your life? Um, so that's one thing that's resonating real hard with me because I'm, I believe in this big time. And I think it's really helpful for people once they figure that out. Um, and then I'm also really curious about, you know, you were so casual about, yeah, you know, had an internship. Yeah, learned enterprise software. Then, yeah, started my own company. I mean, there's so many people, brother, that I talk to that are like, how do you make that leap, man? So can you take me to that decision point when you're like, mm-hmm. and you said it, I mean, again, really casually, like I just realized like, I can make more money if I do it on my own. But is, this, is it software that easy? Is it like no overhead and you can just do it? I mean, but you talked about opportunity cost. It's got to take time. You know, I mean, or were you the guy that was eating Taco Bell like every day as you started, man? Can you, can you just share that with me? Because I'm a soldier, man. I did it you know, 22 years, including college. All I did was military, right? It's probably one of the most stable things you can do, you know? And I knew after my freshman year in college that I was going into the military. And now, you know, I, I had a, I worked again, you know, where, where we met at Teamworks as my first job after the military. And then after doing a, a substantial side hustle, I came out on my own. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and so mine's so different than yours. I'm looking at maybe young TB, right? Maybe in his 20s and you're founding your first of three companies. So, man, I know that's a lot and I'm all over the place. So let me kind of help you <laughs> help with a little bit of focus there. But can you take me back to the time where you just said, I'm working in my assumption full time in enterprise software and I decided to start and build my own thing yeah your process man how'd you do that did you build a team or you by yourself yeah share share some thoughts man if you would so anytime you get prescriptive with like my story it's kind of there's confirmation bias think okay this is how you do it and that's that's because we all want like a very easy one two three here are the steps here's the secret here's the magic pill that's going to be a breakthrough and uh, if you couldn't tell by my crushing of dreams segment earlier, like <laughs> I'm going to keep it real. Like it's harder work, but so I can talk about, I can talk about some of those decisions for me and I want to be concise, you know, cause there's a lot to talk about in terms of my story if we broke down every decision, but um, essentially you've got, you've got like, so there's table stakes. So if you want success, we're talking to people that want success. They want people that are like looking for what's a framework or advice or things to follow in order to how to make those leaps. How'd you make the leap from like, how'd you get the job first? And then how'd you make the, 
how did you make the leap and why did you make the leap from the job to the software? Like these transition pieces. Number one, I, I worked every second I was awake. My mind never stopped. And that's table stakes. You know, I mean, you start talking to people that are good at stuff and they have balance. They have balance, you know, you should have balance and there's trade-offs with that. If you have a family, they should come first. You know, you, you workaholics, I don't believe in being a workaholic. You can only be productive so many hours a day. But when I got into enterprise software sales, A, I applied everything I had to go do it, which means I sought out people in the space. I did informational interviews to figure out how it worked what you got paid, what are the different types of software companies, what are the different types of roles within the software companies, what's a series A, what's a series B, how does that even affect who I should apply for, what websites have trend data on, like what software companies, um, you know, are gonna, are gonna be like building products people want to buy, because that makes your job substantially easier. There's just a lot of stuff you figure out and you just start talking to people, and figure out how the world works, and then you start throwing your resume at people, and. Um, I couldn't even get a business development job, which is basically go set meetings for a sales rep. You, you can get paid while doing it. And that's why I wanted to start. And that was the entry point. I couldn't even get one of those jobs. I couldn't get any good, anybody to give me a job. I went to Chicago court. I forgot about this. I went to Chicago right after school. I had, I, in college in Lynchburg, Virginia, finishing my MBA, I was working a job and really pursuing what's the next job I can do to start my career in this enterprise software sales. Lee Corning, a friend of mine, opened my eyes to that, that space. But I went to Chicago twice. I drove my girlfriend's car at the time, my wife now, Jacqueline, I drove her car, a little Honda car, across the country listening to Bruce Springsteen the entire way. I had like $12 in my bank account. I had one suit and I went out there and did like 20 some meetings that my friend Rich Wu set me up with. He was in financial services. He set me up with all his friends put his neck out on the line for me. I'm taking the train from D road down into the city. I'm credit carding. Um, it, was, it was cabs at the time. I don't even think Uber was going like was big enough or even invented, but had all these great meetings, all these rich people, some just average people just like, you know, love my, like liked me, whatever, nothing turned into a job. Came back to Lynchburg. I did that twice. Never. Mm -hmm. I got one job offer, which was I could stock shelves at a grocery store. I kid you not. I could stock shelves wow. at the grocery store was the one job offer I had. And I was seriously considering it just to get into a big market, just so I could have an opportunity to grow from there. So I tell you that story not to be like, look how hardcore I am, but I was committed and it's table stakes. You want to go after something, you got to be committed to, to, to doing it. So TV, let me interrupt just for a moment, man. And I love that story because I think what you're talking about here is you just got to work, man. The same, the same work ethic you bring to sport, go to bring it to, to your life. And I talk a lot about that for folks that I coach around transition. Um, but help me understand the word table stakes. You've used it a couple of times. I've never uh, heard it before. What yeah, do you like, mean by that? Some meaning behind that? I mean, it's just like a poker terminology. Like if you want to play, you know, you got you to ante up. So it's like got it. it's the basic action you have to take to even have a chance to win the hand. Like, otherwise you can't play. So Got it. you have no chance. Yeah. So continue, man. Can you, can you, can you continue and take me into like, all right, so you landed somewhere and if mm -hmm. I get it, if I get it right, it was enterprise software. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you said you learned a lot of stuff in that, but the words that, that I took away was, um, you learned how to be an expert 
Is, is that a stretch? I mean, is, it, is that something? You, you became an expert in that space and then you also developed a network or was it a way off in those kind of meanings I made and what you talked about there? So, yeah, I mean, in me, for me in those moments, getting the, getting the position, a lot of times it's just getting in. And getting into software sales is a really big win because once you're in and you become efficient at your job, then you're kind of a part of this inertia within an industry where like, as long as you work hard, you're going to kind of matriculate up. It's just a matter of time, but like the odds are, the probabilities are you'll matriculate up, you're up in position, up in money, up in responsibility, up in opportunity. And so that was, that was def, that's definitely the case with software. I definitely, in terms of um, in, in my role was on the sales business development side of software companies. And once you're in one, now your marketability for another to want you. Like once I said I worked at HP, Revigy wanted me. Once I was outside sales at Revigy, Tableau wanted me. Just navigating was much easier in that space once you're in. It's just really hard to get in. Those were the dynamics. And I think mm -hmm. they're still true today. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't become an expert. Um, Tableau. Wow. Yeah, no, no, I didn't become an expert. I, I was a, I was a beginner. Like, um, I was the youngest sales rep at Tableau, which back in July, 2016, um, they had, they had gone public, not been public for too long. And, um, there's just like a really fast growing startup. And I didn't know I was, I would go to a meeting. Like I had the Southeast territory. I would go into Belk, sit down with the CIO director. Fine. I didn't know anything court. Like, Literally, like I knew how my app worked. I had no business talking, you know, IT as, as a service within Belk's organization. I had no idea what, I was just fire, you know, trial by fire. And those meetings made me super nervous. I didn't like them because I knew I was going to be in this position where I didn't know anything and I was going to feel super nervous and, you know, just do that over and over again and don't quit. And eventually you start to pick up on a few things and you get better at it. But I was not an expert. Well, I think that's awesome because I, I, I'm glad you cleared the air on that because I think people will, can appreciate that now that are listening that maybe you don't have to be an expert. Um, so can you, can you take me to the decision, you know, kind of to, to go your own way? Was it a side hustle with Team Synced or was it just a clean transition? I'm going all in on doing my own stuff. How, what did that look like? Yeah. So side hustle to start, um, while working jobs for HP, Revigy, Tableau, um, we started team sync 2014. So I'm basically just doing both. And that's kind of where, like I said, from my perspective and what's worked for me is just the, um, cause there's a lot of ways to be successful, right? Like relative to anyone else trying to do what you do, you you're ahead of them in that task. We'll call that success. I think success and fulfillment are different. We can talk about that, but success, you can kind of get successful in a lot of different ways. For me, it was just like a lot of effort. And um, so now it's probably a great time to introduce Tim Lair, my business partner, friend going on a decade. So Tim and I, if, the way we started our software company was I called him from Panera in 2013. We were working on an idea called 411er, which turned into Simplicitex, which turned into TeamSynced. So we had already started trying to do something. Tim was working IT help desk in Lynchburg, Virginia. I was in Dallas, Texas. We're remote. Every day, we call each other. Every day, we work on stuff. 
an idea turns into action. The action gets a little traction and you build off of it. Tim was leading our development team. So I can't, I don't have enough time, nor could I even do diligence in speaking what the track to learn how to develop, build your first application, build on top of it, then rebuild what that's like. But I am working with him, which is, was key to our success, having a partner, a technical co-founder, and then I'm getting together all the business, marketing, sales, operations, finance, just all the other things to help TeamSync get off the ground. And in tandem, we're working together. And whenever you start down this entrepreneurial path, you realize, okay, let's form an LLC. You know, we'll do an S-corp when we have payroll. Why? You'll figure that out. You, you learn these lessons along the way. So you have the entity, then you have to go get your contracts, and then you have to go get um, this MVP, minimal viable product built, and you got to figure out how to sell it. And there's like these many, many layers of learning. And like any journey, you just one foot in front of the other, and you just kind of go down that track. Meanwhile, you're also fulfilling your, you're trying to figure out how this works financially in your life or emotionally in your life, or like, you know, like you, there's like working in the business is like figuring out how team Sync works. And there's working on the business, which is figuring out like what, where it's headed. But then there's like your life. Like how does that even fit into your life? And you're working on your life. So that's why I say hard work, like a, like nice, like day out hard work, <laughs> not like a week of hard work, but like a, a 10 years of hard work. And yeah, you'll probably be successful at what you, what you want to do. Um, that's, that's probably, you know, that's the number one thing. Like I talked to uh, Zach Maridis, founder of Teamworks, um, maybe like four months ago, you know, he's, he's, he's a really good, um, example of perseverance. You know, anyone who can stay in a space for like 15 years and, um, just stick it out, something's driving them, you know, but it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's just sticking with it and a lot of hard work. And, you know, perseverance is what he told me. It was one of the, he tries to, you know, take what he's done into it and, and put it in an abstraction. It comes out in one word. It's like perseverance. Like that's start there. And I think that's true for, yeah, for people. Yeah, man. I guess what's fascinating for me is like, I'm blown away by how sometimes the answer doesn't really change, man. Mm-hmm. Right. You can talk to a lot of people. They're doing, you just, I mean, we're talking about you, you, you yourself right now. We're talking about you, someone incredibly successful in my opinion, right? I know you're a humble dude, but you know, I look up to you in a lot of ways and all the success you've had and at such a young age. And you look at Zach, like I interviewed with Zach, you know, I told you I was at Teamworks too. I was in my forties. Here's a guy at 31. It's bootstrapped and built, you know, a multi-million dollar business. Yeah. And then, but we're saying, well, you know, what do you attribute your sex success to buddy? Ah, hard work, man. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's almost like, come on, there's got to be something else to it. But there's beautiful simplicity. And so for anyone listening, it's there. I mean, maybe there's not a secret sauce, y'all. It's just get out there and work your butt off. Because that's kind of part of Tyler's story. And he's also sharing it as part of someone else's story who's in software and has been successful with another company. So I also, if I could just share back two things that really resonated with me throughout your story. And I might get this wrong, but I think you said Team Synced was where you landed, but you started with 4 one and yeah. then Simplicity. Is Simplicity yeah, the right simplicity. word? text, yeah. Simplicitext. And so I think that the, the takeaway I got from there is, you know, it might not 
it might not stay with what you think when you start. And that's kind of this entrepreneurship thing, right? And that's, that's even a, a story in this podcast itself. I never said, hey, I want to go do a podcast. I had a different idea and it matured into what it is today, High Performance Pathways. And your story about Team Synced is no different. So just kind of stay the course, iterate, and just keep it going. And with some hard work laid on top of that, you'll probably make something beautiful. So that's the one big takeaway I had aside from the hard work is let it evolve naturally as you continue. Um, And then the third thing I had that I thought was really interesting is find a partner. And you said a technical co-founder because you're in a tech space. And I never really understood. I certainly know that Tim, you know, wrote code for you, but I didn't know that you were more heavily involved on kind of the sales piece. Um, For whatever reason, I always thought you were a code guy too. And I think you're sharing with me now that maybe that's not the case or maybe that changed or evolved over time. But those are the three things that really stuck with me. Um, Do you have anything else you wanted to add? If not, I want to ask another question. No, let's go. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, man, you talked about two things that I think are really interesting, fulfillment and success. Uh-huh. Do you mind sharing your thoughts around those two for Yeah, I mean, success, I think, is like you have to kind of pick, a, pick an arena for an example. It's easier to probably understand. So like, let's just say success in business. In business, success, you want to be profitable, you know? Like generally, a good attribute of success would be profitability, especially if you're a public company. I think the definition you learn in business school is like increased shareholder value, like that's success. Um, as individually, success is if I set a goal to bench press 225 10 times, once, once I hit it, I, I've been successful with that goal. So success oftentimes is like an outcome relative to like a benchmark. Sometimes it's the benchmark is somebody else. Like if you're running a race, I'm, I'm successful in winning the race, right? If I win, if I beat the person next to me, or if you're running against a time world record, then the benchmark's time. So I think success is like oftentimes just outcome relative to another, another benchmark, like um, variable, but mm, fulfillment, it, yeah, fulfillment, fulfillment is, it's, it, that, that one is more important. And by far, it's not like they're, they're horizontal, in my opinion, like laterally next to each other. Like fulfillment trumps everything. And, um, you know, for me, um, I, well, another attribute of fulfillment, um, actually, um, Devin Klein told me this, a guy named Devin Klein. He was like, fulfillment as, is like your fingerprints or your DNA. It's like mm-hmm. you, the, what takes you to be fulfilled is unique as your fingerprints, your DNA, your DNA um, like holistically. Mm-hmm. And success is like, there's an art and a science to success. You can teach it. You can coach it. You can predict it because um, it's contextual. But fulfillment is only contextual to the individual. And I thought that that really stuck with me because I think that's true. Yeah, I love it, man. And so what I'm hearing from you here is a really clear definition for success, which I actually like, never heard it before. Outcome relative to a benchmark, right? Establish the goal, establish the target. I've had success if I hit it. You need some great examples there with money for a business and bench press. Um, I get that one. And fulfillment, the words I wrote down here is that for you, it's something really personal. And I actually would also offer up the word intimate. There's an intimacy around Mm -hmm. fulfillment. Is that, am I hearing you right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's different for everybody. Um, So how about you, man? What does it take for you to, at the end of the day, say that was a fulfilling day for me? So 
there's the, some of the attributes of like a fulfilling day for me is generally like progress in work. You know, I go home, I play with my son for an hour. I'm present. You know, I, I hang out with, support my wife for an hour. I'm present. And maybe I read and I look back in the day and I'm like, that's a good day. But underpinning like why any of that's valuable goes to my faith. And, um, without, you know, going long because, you know, we get into faith, you get into God, religion, like these topics tend to like open a can of worms or get you off into this existential space that everyone has, you know, and it's, you can't sort through it all. So for me, the, it's just wrapped up in the gospel. So I firmly believe that my value was my personal value. Going back to the identity thing out of college, my sense of self and my value, I was given a price. I was given a price with Christ and his death on the, set, on the cross. He gave me my value. So the more I can tap into that truth, the more I can tap into God's creation of the world, the potential within it, and, and just the story of the restoration of that initial relationship that he wanted in the first place. Um, now I can free myself up from having to, like I have a rubric, I have a foundational rubric for value. And it's just wrapped up in the gospel. It's wrapped up in grace. So when I am present with God, when I'm in the word, when I'm present with him, then my beliefs transform inside out. When I'm not in the word and I'm not present with God, then my beliefs naturally go back towards like my human nature. I call it lots of people call it that, but I also mm -hmm. call it that, which is generally wrapped up in my sense of self, my value, my identity is in kind of what the world says about me or what the world. And when I say the world, I mean, it's basically like all pigeonholing us next to each other. So now it's like my values based on how, how successful I am and whatever I'm doing, which means that that's a zero sum game because everyone's going to lose unless you're on top, unless you're God himself. So we're always comparing, we're always feeling inferior, we're always working hard to overcome and you get caught up in that and you never feel fulfilled. You don't have a fulfilling day or you do for a season and you realize you're off base. So. Mm. Love it, man. A lot of power there in that as you share it out, you know, as I just listened to it. And I think what you're telling me is you know, fulfillment for you really starts with, am I, you know, am I actively uh, present with a, a mindfulness to, you know, your relationship with Christ? And then, you know, the outputs from that mental and spiritual engagement is, hey, I'm going to do something meaningful at work with the talents that I've been blessed with. Hey, I've got a family, so I want to invest time physically in my presence of being in and around Jacqueline and my son. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I think that's really interesting um, and really just another insight to fulfillment, unique for you. Like you said, it's very personal and it's very intimate. And, you know, if that's something that works for you, something that resonates, hey, there you go. Let it resonate. If it's not, that's okay. Tyler shares it with absolutely no attachment because it's him. And even in his using the definition for fulfillment is it's unique to anybody that's listening. So just appreciate Tyler, you kind of stepping into some vulnerability there in this conversation, man, and just kind of giving us some deep insight as to 
who you are as a man walking this earth, man, and, and mm -hmm. how that's impactful. And we talked about core values and maybe we'll share some more about that as it moves forward. But, you know, ha have you had a mindful appreciation for from a values place? You actually used the word identity a few moments ago. Have any core values have emerged for you in your life that you can name? Or is that more of a, a looser generalization? Yeah, I, I would say like in my psychology, like um, the way I see the world, what, what, what I think about, what motivates me, I don't have words or, or concepts or principles that pop into mind when you say your values. Like that's not a staple of, of how I think in terms of, yeah, internally. I would definitely say I have values, you know, um, they're there. I just don't necessarily um, spend a lot of time thinking about the words for them or what they are, which are prioritizing them. So yeah. um, that's just me. No, I, I get it. I mean, do you think if, if you were to do that, that you could have some increased focus or clarity? Yeah, perhaps. Certainly. All right. Yeah. Love it, man. Perhaps. TB. Always got a beginner's <laughs> mind, man. He's open to learning any chance he gets. For sure. Well, I think that's awesome because, you know, I might even just, you know, issue a challenge statement for you then in this moment, man, is as you walk away from this conversation, you know, consider the three to five core values, give them some, some deeper life by naming them and defining them and then putting them, you know, snapping a photo of it with your phone or, or putting a post-it note next to your keyboard. Because mm -hmm. I believe that once we do give them the specificity around a name and a definition, that it helps us uh, really triage decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be informative. So, you know, um, I certainly do that. I've, I've got my core values. I've got them named. And I, I tell you, I, I didn't know what they were just like you for a large time in my life. Mm -hmm. But once I began to sit back and reflect and name them, it was an interesting experience for me. And it's been something I've been able to lean into more and more when I've had difficult decisions to make. Because I'd say, hey, if I, 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 it's value-based leadership, in my opinion. It's value, value alignment and what I'm choosing to do and what I'm choosing not to do. And that applies to, you know, fill in the blank. It applies to work, you know, family, you know, checking out of the grocery store. All those things, it impacts. So, there you go. Anyone listening to, identify your values and see how that can help you moving forward. Hey, man, can you talk specifically a moment? Uh, we'll get back here to your professional life. Parallel, man. Yeah. What is this thing? What it's all about? Can you yeah. share maybe a vision and mission around this and how it serves others? Definitely. So like, so parallel is the hardest thing I've ever worked on. Um, it has been the most personal work I've ever worked on because like I mentioned, um, PSS, the product is on it while we're building that for major league baseball. And we're, we're kind of like, uh, that's operational and it's good. A lot of time, sitting here in our offices in parallel or in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, thinking about Tim and I, um, you know, most of our employees are remote thinking here in this office. What do we want to do? We, we, <laughs> we want to create a freedom. We got it. So go create. And there's a lot of, when you're starting something, there's like this feasibility, like, can I build a business off of something? But then there's also like, Tim and I are very much connected to product outcomes. Like we want to see product outcomes in this world achieved that, that should be, and we want to connect with that. And so, you know, team synced as much as we loved our customers and as much as we loved building that business and how good it was to us, like one of the core reasons we didn't want to continue it was because the product outcome of helping an organization 
be more efficient with calendaring, calendar schedule, scheduling messaging. Like that's not something we really connected with. And that that's, we connected with it. Don't, don't say, don't hear me say I didn't care, but it just wasn't the thing we wanted to build um, in terms of product. And I think we were being at the time, perhaps like that was our perspective at the time when we, when we, you know, we're willing to part ways with building that entity. And so now that we had the creative freedom core, you're trying to measure feasibility with like product outcomes you want to see in the world. And what I learned through that process was a there's trade-offs. There's always trade-offs to everything. Mm-hmm. So when, when, what, what's parallel is kind of morphed into is what we really think is important. And what we're passionate about is athletes in college have such tremendous opportunity right, to leverage their platform, to leverage their soft skills, and to leverage their connections and their resources as athletes and their communities as athletes to make that transition to the next phase of life, which is this completely new space you've never even experienced because you've been playing sports since you were in sixth grade. This transition to the world, which is, it's a big transition for even like normal college students, even especially so for specialists like athletes. So there's tremendous potential there. And everyone, you know, a lot of athletes are having trouble with their career. I know I did figure out who they are after sports and then like developing hard skills and like just a a new pathway to go be successful. So we want to solve that problem. And basically what we've settled on is look, athletic departments have enormous communities. They have tons of support. They have all these former athletes in the world that have found their way. Some have, some have it, but they have this enormous platform, but they don't have great, any technology to leverage this, this energy. And so that's what parallel is. We want to help an athletic department an entity with members um, leverage their alum who have a huge whole, like passion and they can empathize with, with existing athletes and they need, they personally need a platform to share their perspective. They need a platform to engage with athletes. They need a platform to um, our athletic departments need a platform to connect these two groups of people so they can help each other. And so we've developed a pretty robust, piece of software for that to happen with lots of different experiences. Um, and the product outcome we want to see happen in the world is if you think about the math, if there's a hundred athletes, you know, a hundred seniors that are going to be graduating X university, there should be a thousand alumni, 2000 alumni. And every year the alumni base gets bigger and every year the athlete base stays the same. So there's no reason that the math can't work in favor of every single athlete having an opportunity and a pathway into career um, a meaningful career at that. So that is where we're focused on right now. And, you know, we're kind of in a quiet beta right now with, with, um, a few partners and we're looking forward to really pushing it next year. Man, I think it's awesome. I've told you this before and I'll share it again right now. Uh, I continue to, to reflect on what you're doing with parallel. And I think also of the military community mm-hmm. because there's so many things that are in common, man with this identity crisis when you hang it up after so many years when you have to step into a civilian job and oh guess what just like alumni from liberty university that are out there in droves there's veterans all over this country out there in droves and for the most part some have been successful like you just said some haven't but almost all of them want to help other Mm -hmm. veterans and so you know um, I'm fired up about your work with Parallel. One, because I'm a former athlete and I think you're solving a problem that's really interesting in a very unique way. 
and I want to see <laughs> how the heck we can get this to serve a, maybe a totally different demographic as things mm-hmm. move forward for me. So I just appreciate your friendship. Um, I'm inspired by what you do, and, and I hope we can continue the conversation around that at some point together. Um, but but I'd like to transition in a moment here, buddy, um, and talk real specifically about something that just fires me up, the reason for the podcast, the body of work, and everything you've shared to date here kind of really informs this question for me, and it's it's high performance, man, um, because I think that that a lot of folks in their life, that's what they're chasing. That's what I'm chasing you know, and I even reflect back, even at a younger age, I, I always wanted to compete and I always wanted to do it really well. And guess what? I wanted to be the guy that won. And so, I, and, I, and for me, that's kind of high performance so much so that I even have my own definition around it. Um, but this is your episode and I'd like to hear from TB, a guy that's done some incredible things and continues to do moving forward, incredible work, high performance. Does it resonate with you? And, and could you share a definition in your own words and what that might mean to you? Yeah, certainly. I mean, high performance, obviously, like if you, high performance is extremely important. And the definition in my mind is like kind of a straightforward thing. It's like performing at a high level, the technical definition of the word, like, so going back to success definition, like if you're performing at a high level, high performance or optimal performance, you're fulfilling your potential at the highest level you possibly can within the context of what you're focused on, like you're performing within that context. And oftentimes it's relative to a benchmark, but um, where my mind goes with performing high is like, why do you want to perform? Like, this is just how I'm wired. Why do I want to perform high? You know, if you're a listener, you might think, well, it's kind of obvious. Like I want to be successful because it sucks not to be okay, great. Well, that's, that's awesome. As you really dig down and ask the question, well, why does it suck not to perform? And why is it so great to perform? And you want to answer, you want to be intellectually honest with that question. What it does is it points you to your core beliefs, goes to those values court that you mentioned that are on your phone or you have written down that you, you often reference when making decisions, which I probably should do. But it's just the, the idea of what are your beliefs, right? And once you, once you figure those out, then like performance in those, that category is so intertwined with fulfillment. It's so intertwined with helping others be successful. It's so intertwined with making the world a better place as cliche as that sounds. And so high performance is everything so long. And I think it's only like, I think it's most beneficial, mostly beneficial. I I think it's still useful if you don't know why you want to perform. I think you still do good in the world, but I think the more you are in touch with why you want to perform at a high level and then you go perform, I think it has like exponential good benefits and sustainable benefits over, over the long haul. Um, You know, so that's kind of how I see it, you know, and I'm yeah, still, kind of still learning too and trying to figure out how to perform at a high level and how to stay more consistent and um, how to perform in the right areas. Um, Cause I change, I change week to week um, in, in many areas, many areas, but I am trying to create a more stable baseline and build off of it. I love it, man. TV is always going to give you exactly uh, unfiltered, what's going on in his own life. I mean, in the same statement, you talked about, you know, what it takes to be a high performer. And then you called out and recognized the fact that, hey, I'm still trying to figure it out, Court. So I love it, man. Here's what I heard, brother, when you talked about high performance and a definition from Tyler. It's high performance, fulfilling your potential at the highest level, graded against a benchmark, period. That's kind of what I heard when you made your declaration. And then you added so beautifully 
a recognition of, oh, and by the way, guess what's also important? Your values. So what does that mean to me? Let me try to break it down, you know, at a level in which court can understand it. If I'm selling software like Tyler did, and I'm required to sell $30 today, and I'm on the phone with a client, and I, I close a $30 deal, but I lied about the capabilities of the software, and honesty happens to be a core value of mine, did I perform at a high level in that engagement? I met the success criteria, but I negotiated that deal inconsistent with my values. And I would actually walk away from that feeling a little bit defeated. So therefore, for me, I didn't perform at a high level in that moment. So that's kind of the meaning I made of what you, what you shared out. I freaking love it, man. Does that make sense? Did I do that's a, a great job? example. That's a great example. Yeah. All right, man. I appreciate it. High performance score to Tyler Baker. Good stuff. Hey, man, let's talk a little about habits. Um, and I just was curious. Uh, we're going to go back to, to basketball here, right? Because I think so much of kind of that experience has informed what you do today. And, and if I was to guess and be a betting man, and I love to bet, you know, as I ask this question, what, what two, three, maybe four habits could you share with someone with a reflection on your experience as an athlete has informed your success today? And allowed you to perform at a high level today. I'm, I'm guessing one of them is going to be, hey, brother, just work hard. I learned that in the sport and I've applied it today because you've talked about that so much. So let's just consider working hard being one of those things. Anything else, man, you'd share that you take away from basketball's experience to your work life to perform yeah. at a high level? So, yeah, habits to perform. I mean, I think I'll start with like, what are some of the basic things? Um, that I do. So I get good sleep. I get, I get at least seven hours. I try to get eight hours every night. Um, for me, that's very important to sustain performance because if I miss a good night's sleep, like if I don't sleep very much or I turn up the caffeine and get a bunch of work done super late for a couple days in a row or if I'm traveling, then I'm going to get through a day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste half a day or a whole day with 40% brain activity going on. Um, because I just can't perform. So you got to take care of your body. Sleep's a big important. I work out at least five times a week. I do something to get moving, you know? So you got to take care of the, your body. You need sleep and you need to stay active. So a lot of research supports that too. Um, so that's, that's one habit. Um, I, I really have developed, I, I know a lot of people say like reading, it's, it's like the thing that sounds good, but you, I think it's really important to just get new ideas going through your mind. So I think there are some probably benefits like reading versus a YouTube video, but if I'm prioritizing what I try to make sure I keep doing is I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I want to make sure I'm putting good stuff into my mind. How do you define good stuff? So I put a lot, I try to put a lot of good stuff into my mind. Lately, I'm reading Poor Charlie's Almanac, Munger, his mental models, because I like that. I read the Adventures blog, because I like that. I read, um, I have like Coastal Adventures and a bunch of different private equity and like VC type blogs they put out, Bill Gurley, different thinkers, because I just like that stuff. It's all related to business and growth and finance and concepts. I listen to podcasts every way, every morning. I listen to Tim Keller on the way home. I listen to Patrick Oshag or some sort of, podcast and I just find information to feed the mind. And that's a consistent thing I do outside of work. Um, 
Yeah. We do some other funny little things around the office. Like we drink salad shake, shakes every day to save time. <laughs> you know, that's like, <laughs> we do that. I don't know. I love uh, it, man. Hey, you made me a salad shake, bro. It was yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, man. Freaking love it, man. Save what, what time. <laughs> uh, some other little habits. You know, so Tim and I, like, this is just very personal. I don't know how well this scales, but for my success, it's like Tim and I talk we consistently. Communication. It avoid like, there's so much debt you take on by not communicating and assuming. You can over communicate and talk and waste time as well, but I just know Tim and I have avoided, a, we've been able to be very efficient and out, have a, like a high degree of output in our work and our pace, but it's centered on communication. And whenever you're building software, and this probably is true for other things, but specifically for software, like Tim has to know what's, what priorities are. And he has limited information. So he trusts me for a lot of customer information, trusts me for a lot of like the utilization information. And I have to trust the customer. And, and, and at every step in the supply chain of information transfer, there's like leaks. You know, the customer might say something and it could be wrong. You have to use discernment every step. But pivotal to our success in growing a company, Tim and I talk every day. Every day for like 10 years, we've, we've talked either Slack on the phone, at the gym. So these are the habits. I mean, if I'm just like, I'm just basically just stream of conscious. What am I doing consistently? I'm sleeping, I'm working out, I'm eating healthy. I'm putting a lot of good information into my mind. And I, I, I personally get up early. I don't think you have to get up early. Some people are like wired for the night, but you know, I get to the office I don't know, early. Yeah, man. Cause I want to get home for my family. So, you know, that's yeah, just good night. I'm sorry I stepped on you there, but that's uh, it. No, that's it. That's really it. I mean, pretty, yeah. pretty basic habits. No, but, but I love it, man. It's, it's kind of like, you know, a court, uh, work really hard, man, heard it a hundred, hundred times. Well, do I need to hear it a hundred one times to realize that how much it really does matter? You know, this fact that effort is king. So I, I love hearing another perspective on the habits that have allowed you to perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of, you know, for the folks listening, uh, yeah, I've heard that before. Well, great. Well, start doing it. If you're only working out one time a week, you probably need to pick it up, man. And, and we're not even talking about the literature behind that. So some things I just want to echo back from, from TV here as habits that he's adopted throughout his life to help him perform at a really high level. One, it's, it's the overall banner of self-care. And for Tyler, that includes getting a good sleep, you know, moving five times a week, and drinking a salad shake. By the way, what's a good recipe, man? Salad shake ingredients. Kale. Fish oil. Oh, we'll start with the vegetables. Kale, arugula. Um, you need broccoli sprouts and um, what's that? What's that root for the brain? Turmeric root. Turmeric root. And mm -hmm. then you throw in fish oil, an avocado. Um, Any protein? Beets. Beets. No, we don't. We haven't done protein in a while. We we eat protein on the side, eggs, lunch meat, stuff like that. You know, so we keep it pretty healthy. You know, the thing is, we 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 started. We made salads for every day for a month, and it was taking us like forty five minutes to eat these gigantic salads, like chewing on them. For like, we just need to get a freaking commercial grade blender and drink this because we're wasting too much time. That was the impetus for the shake. So, you know, we got better at making them taste decent. And uh, avocado, beet, you, you need the avocado. If you don't have the avocado, it's rough. You throw an avocado in there, it goes down smooth. 
Uh, hey, man, game changer, avocado <laughs> in the salad shake, dude. I love hey, it. Court, one thing I was going to say. So one thing I wish I did more. So like I'm, I'm, I'm basically giving all these habits that, you know, I do all of the ones I said, but, and they sound good, but here's the thing I think is drives my success and I need to do more of it. And that's, I need to be, I need to expose myself to hard things, which is sometimes thinking like prioritizing what are the things that really make a difference versus the things that are kind of fun that you can get lost in. And I can get, mm-hmm. I can get fun and I can get, but they're still productive. And that's, that's kind of why it's like very dangerous to, to, you think about your life, you gravitate towards oftentimes the things that are like fun and you tend to be good at. And those are your strengths. And people say double down your strengths and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm doing the right thing. But really value creation is oftentimes associated with having skin in the game and, and risk and risk always makes people feel queasy. And one of the biggest things people feel queasy about, I've noticed in my own life and others talking about this sort of thing is like, I don't want to do all this work and put myself out there and put money and time into it. If I don't know, it's going to work. I want to do things I know are going to work. So now you spend all this time trying to figure out a trick to know it's going to work. And it's like, you don't know it's going to work. Matter of fact, the only way to, not the only way, but on probability speaking, if you want to create value and capture it, you have to have skin in the game and you have to risk something. And that's always going to feel uncomfortable by the very definition. Mm. So I wish I had a habit of, I'm working on that. Like I have a list I'm making, like monthly outcomes I want to see and I'm tracking them. So I'm trying to prioritize. And if I could, if I could critique myself right now, it's like, I need to get on the phone with more prospective customers for parallel and just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk that comes into play with going to market a little too early, but and I need to just keep exposing my ideas to the market so I can learn faster and risk them not liking them and losing momentum or all like the other things you wouldn't like about that. So that's like a very personal thing that when, when you look, when, you know, when people look back and they're like, what was driving my success? Like oftentimes it's where they were willing to go create value by having skin in the game and risking something. Love it, man. Well said. I did that this afternoon. I got I got, I got my, I talked myself into it. Good. There you go, man. We're, we're, we're inspiring high performance just in this conversation for yep. Tyler as he, as he departs from it. So, Hey man, mic drop, right? Mission complete. <laughs> we, re, we reach one person to change your life. That's all that matters. The last thing I just want to want to close out on as we kind of close this piece up, man, is I really appreciated the word that you used as you described you and Tim's relationship here, because I think it applies, man, 10 times over in the world out there, communication over assuming. Um, and so it's just an invite. It's a challenge statement. If you're making assumptions out there and you're saying mf or you're saying, man, I can't believe that person did that or what is going on here and there's any assumption in there, you better step into a conversation and that's my challenge because a lot of clarity will come from that. So, all right, brother, I got one more question I want to roll through you with. Um, and I think it's it's about management, right? And uh, and I just think it's because you've done so much of that in your life. And when I, when I talk and define management, I'm talking about the supervision of people and or projects in order to accomplish tasks, missions, and assignments. So when I say the word management, mm-hmm. and because I know I'm talking to TB and he wants them to be defined, <laughs> uh, that's kind of the word that I'm, that, that, or the way, the words I use to define management. 
Um, when you think about that, right, supervising people, projects in order to accomplish a task, mission, or assignment, what, what, what are some maybe habits that could be foundational in your experience in things that you've managed mm-hmm. or as other managers that you've watched that allow them to manage well? And mm-hmm. well, well, I'll say at a high level, a high yep. performing manager. So generally, people that are really good at managing are just intuitively high on the EQ scale. Like that would be an attribute of a good manager. Um, but I think fundamentally, understanding how the incentives in a system work is really important to manage it, management. And a system can be a lot of things. So if we use an example of just managing um, some employees as a part of your sales team, let's say, like you structure comp plans, right? That incentivize the behaviors you want in them. But that's just one of many examples when you're trying to um, get everybody going in the same direction at a high, at a high velocity so that the output, you know, is, is really high, is optimized. Mm-hmm. It's incentives. And people are different. We talked about fulfillment being unique. So different things fulfill different people. And so you, you really need to be in touch with like, what are the incentives, you know, like and inherently we approach every situation based on how we're incentivized and we treat people accordingly, but that's just not the case. Yeah. It gets you a lot of trouble too. Yeah. yeah, man. I'm with you. Continue. I'm sorry. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably the big thing. Um, I mean, admittingly, I'm not the best manager. So like, that's the thing I try to remember. That's the most important thing um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of performance. I think incentives is the most important thing in performance. Um, But, you know, I also think that management is an incredible opportunity to not think of people as units of production and to, look at the opportunity for influence and relationship that you have with whoever you're working or or managing in in the context of people, you know, the best managers, like people, you've heard that phrase, like people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And when you have that much influence over somebody's life, like it's a tremendous opportunity and an obligation, I think to put the person first and not look at them as a unit of production. So, um, you know, but it's easy to because of all the stress that's on you, right? To 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 perform. So it's it, it takes a lot of intentionality. Absolutely, man. So when I think about the three things that you're sharing, when you reflect back on a moment um, on on the managers that that you've seen uh, and the ways you've been managed, or to the management you've done in your own life, there's 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 three big things that step out as kind of into the front for you to do it well. Number one is you know have a high level of emotional intelligence. You said EQ, emotional quotient. Um, And I think what we're talking about there is just how do I use emotional information in a productive way Um, in my engagement, in my relationships with the people that I'm working with. That's really important. There's a whole body of work built around that. And oh, by the way, that's something you can improve upon if you're willing to do that. Um, And if you got any questions about that, I'd be happy to take them from you. Uh, I'm certified in emotional intelligence as uh, kind of a debriefer and issuer of different assessments to grow through. And so I think that's, that's a big one, Tyler. Sure. The second one is, you know, understand how the incentives work in the system. And, and I think a lot of times we hear the word incentive and our mind immediately goes to money and Tyler. So, so kind of, you know, 
easily introduce this idea that it's not always money. You know, by the way, you know, it's whatever that person needs uh, to help motivate action. And you don't know what that is unless you get in the conversation like he does with Tim and figure out, you know, what other people need in order to feel valued. And then that's how you can incentivize them to, to actually perform well. And the last thing here was put the per person first. That's the best way to influence, especially as a manager. So I appreciate you sharing those with us, brother. I think they're important. And uh, I think that's a wrap, man. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Is there anything else that uh, you got in your mind you want to get out there before we wrap this thing up? I don't think so. These are great questions. You got all out of me, but um, I enjoyed it, Corey. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So uh, thankful to have you here. Purpose built, specially selected. Appreciate the time. Um, what I do want to do, though, is, is, is kind of break us out with some energy, send us on our way. So inviting you to wrap up episode 17 here with what we call the high performance breakdown. And what I'll do is I'll speak the words to you, buddy. I'll say break down on three and then I'll count one, two, three. And when you hear the word three, I'm just inviting you to give us three claps however you want to get that done and then speak the words. Yeah, man. Speak the words. Boom. Shakalaka. And that'll wrap us up here, man, for this episode. You got any questions about that brother? Or are you ready to go? I got you. I know you do. All right. Hey, breaking us out on episode 17. This is TB, my man, Tyler Baker. Breakdown on three, brother. One, two, three. Boom. Shakalaka. Yeah, baby. That's a boom shakalaka coming out of Charlotte, the parallel headquarters from my close friend, TB. Hey, to connect with Tyler, you got to check out his website. That's parallelplatform.com. Or you can check out actually a podcast that that's, he's put out there called Life After Sport. And also, hey, LinkedIn. That's where we connect with everybody. He's at Tyler Baker founder at Parallel. If you're looking for his handle, again, it's Tyler Baker, founder at Parallel, because there's a bunch of Tyler Breakers out there, but there's only one that's doing this work. Hey, you can check out this episode and more episodes of High Performance Pathways at my website, courtwomen.com, or up on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Radio, and Google. Hey, y'all, get out there. Chase Pine Performance with your life. <laughs>